was laughing with the uh, sound folks that earlier. They know that I like a lapel mic because I like to move around. And the comment was made to me they have wide angle lens. And I, <laughs> I trust that they were referring, I, I don't know. Hmm. Mark 2, <laughs> 1 through 12, one of, to me, one of the absolute great messages for us today and any day. The fellowship of the mat. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left. Not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And Jesus said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The fellowship of the mat. Friendships. Deep, longing, intensive, at times, friendships. Aristotle put it this way. Without friendships, no one would choose to live, even if they had all other good things in life. And of course, one of my favorite philosophers, Yogi Berra, put it this way. If you don't go to somebody's funeral, they probably won't go to yours. (laughs) Some of you will be thinking about that all afternoon. (laughs) Love Yogi. When you come to a fork in the road, he said, take it. The sad thing about it, the longer I think about him, the more sense he makes. And, uh, you know... There were several uh, things that we want to look at in this particular uh, illustration, this story of this paralyzed man. There was the crowd. Verses 2 and 4 said, So many gathered that there was no room left. And then in verse 4, Since they could not get to him to Jesus because of the crowd. It was a red-letter day, actually. Jesus was raised in that little fishing village of Capernaum there around the Sea of Galilee. And, and as all of these people were gathered together, they heard that Jesus had come home. And they had been hearing about his exploits and the things that he taught. And the people that had been 
healed by him and the demons that were being cast out by Jesus. It was a red letter day, if you will. And it was one of those times where when Jesus would come into a village after all of this uh, word had been spread across Galilee and throughout Judea about Jesus and all that God was able to do through him, the crowd had already gathered early. They heard which house he was in. There were those teachers of the law that came in and they took a prominent seat right close to where Jesus would be speaking. And then his disciples, those fishermen, were gathered around and and as Jesus was teaching, the crowds continued to get bigger, but they came early. They always do. If you don't have a reserved seat, you want to get there early. That's just all there is to it. And these people got there early. And they were crowding around Jesus in that small little house. And, and they were spilling out into the uh, way beyond the door. They were looking through the windows. It was quite a crowd. And they were pressed up against each other, straining to hear all that Jesus could say. You know, before we get any further, sometimes the crowd are well-meaning people. And that crowd was comprised of curiosity seekers like any crowd is. Anytime you have an event, you always have the curiosity seekers. Not necessarily followers of Jesus. They're just curious as to whether or not the rumors about Jesus were actually true. Could he really heal? Can he really cast out demons? Does he have this capability? And then there were the skeptics who didn't believe any of these rumors or these news reports that had come to their way. They were skeptical about everything that was being said, but they didn't dare miss it. They wanted to see for themselves. But then there were the followers. There were the disciples, and there were others who had committed themselves to Jesus as the Messiah. But you know, all of these folks, though their intentions may have been honorable and good, prevented honest seekers from coming to Jesus. You know, the crowds exist today. I don't know if you've been a recipient of that or not, trying to get in to see Jesus. Maybe you've tried to get into a meeting or a Bible study or a a sermon, or a revival experience, or a retreat, and it just seems like the crowds have kept you from gaining entry. Maybe they were good people. Maybe they were godly people. Maybe their intentions were absolutely honorable, but because of their insensitivity, they prevented you from finding Jesus. Sometimes we do it by claiming our own pews. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes somebody wants to find Jesus. I never will forget. There was a situation where I was in a little country church and I'd been been witnessing to this coal miner and his family. And they finally came. His entire family, he finally worked up the nerve and the courage to come for the first time in his life. And he sat on that second pew. I never will forget it. And I was so happy. And I was sitting up on the platform. And I was excited. I'd gone out and shook their hands and everything. And then I saw a lady that normally sat in that pew. 
And as I am standing here, I watched her with her cane stop at the back and looked at her pew that was now occupied. And I thought, surely she'll sit somewhere else. And she hobbled down that aisle, and she stood at the end of that pew, and she popped my friend on the knee with her cane, and she said, you are in my seat. Did he ever come back again? No, not really. We had plenty of conversations after that. But sometimes this crowd is comprised of people who may have good intentions or not, they, but they're just insensitive to those others. Because at that point where you're trying to find out what Jesus is saying, sometimes we become so insensitive to others that the others just don't matter. Are you a member of the crowd that's maybe preventing somebody from seeing Jesus? And then there's this paralytic. Boy, verse 3. I love it. He says, Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them on his mat, his pallet. You know, here's a man that was paralyzed. We don't know how long. We don't know to what extent the paralysis was, but we know he was paralyzed. His life was restricted to a three-foot by six-foot mat. Now, here was a man who was completely dependent on everybody else. Somebody had to carry him to a spot in the city every day of his life so that he could beg for money at the gate. Someone had to take care of his needs. Being paralyzed, somebody had to feed him. They had to clothe him. They had to clean him up when he soiled himself. They had to transport him when he had need. Somebody had to be in that position because this paralytic couldn't do it for himself. Well, maybe you can identify with that. Here's the sad thing. In the religious community, a paralytic was considered a chief sinner. Remember Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, the friends of Job? Their response to Job was, obviously your sin is great because your suffering is great. In that day, in Hebrew mindset, they believed that the greater the suffering, the greater the sin. No suffering, no sin. Prosperity, blessings. And so they believed that a paralytic was a man who had obviously sinned deeply and egregiously against God. Well, someone has asked, so what sins can a paralytic commit? Paralytics are no different than you and I are in the sense that there is jealousy, there's anger, there's frustration, there's the desire to to literally lust after somebody else's position or perhaps their strength. Or be envious over somebody that can walk somewhere and you can't. There's all kinds of sin that afflicts all of us, whether we're paralyzed or not. Well, this paralytic. Then he had the situation where society condemned him as well. Aristotle said that let there be a law passed that no deformed child 
shall be raised. In the 5th century Rome, there was literally a, a statute on the books that said, and I quote, quickly kill a deformed child, end quote. So society didn't look well on on a paralyzed man. This beggar who was carried by his friends to the gate every day of his life to beg for money. Society didn't care about him. And I doubt seriously that too many people recognized him when he was being lowered through that roof. Hmm. Maybe you can identify with a paralytic. Maybe you feel that there's something in your life that, that has demeaned you something that has debilitated you from becoming what you would consider normal in your functions. And yet, there you are. Well, there's these friends. I want to talk a little bit about these friends because I see some of you here. You notice verses 3 through 5. Look at these friends. Some men came bring into him a paralytic carried by four of these friends of his. This fellowship of this mat. And the Bible says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Can you imagine? They heard the word. The news got out. Jesus is in town. Some say he's the Messiah. Some say he's just a prophet or a teacher. But what we know is he's been able to heal the sick, to cause the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. He's someone who can heal sins. And so these four men got together and said, that's it. That may be the only chance that we have to get our friend help that he so desperately needs and so these friends and I love this told the paralytic they'd pick him up in the morning well they pick him up every morning I mean and so when they picked him up they literally picked him up and they got there a little too late because the early birds had already arrived and had already taken all the choice seats and already taking the place in the doorways and around the house. They saw the obstacles, but the obstacles didn't prevent them from getting their friend to Jesus. Every house in those days used to have staircases up on the roof, and they said, here's a plan. Can you imagine? All five of them, four men carrying the the mat, the pallet, and the paralytic, were discussing, what do we do? We can push our way in. Probably not. They won't move. We know the crowd mentality. They're not going to budge. They're not going to give up their place in line. They're not going to give up their vantage point. What do we do? Well, one suggested, why don't we take him up to the roof? Really, the other said. And do what? Let's find some ropes. Tie it around the mat and lower him down. We'll get him to Jesus. Is that the only plan you've got? That's all we've got. And they discussed it among themselves. Here is plan B. Plan A didn't work because of the crowd. So let's do plan B. Because their deep interest and sincerity was getting their friend 
to Jesus. So, they take him up the outside staircase onto the roof. Now, don't think too much about it. The roof could have been as much as two feet thick. It was covered with branches and mud. There were beams laid through the roof support, and they could lower him in between the beams. But these, this, these twigs or straws or branches and mud that were laid on top, and sometimes there were tiles laid over that as well. Well, they began to dig. Can you imagine the picture? As they began to dig, you start seeing Jesus talking. They listened to Jesus. Then all of a sudden, some dirt started hitting them in the hair. And you start seeing it filter in. And then the hole got bigger. And then it got bigger. And Jesus stops in his teaching. And he looks up. And then you see a hole about, probably about six feet long. A natural skylight, I may add. As they are looking up, Jesus sees the face of four men. Four men. What does the Bible say about that? Jesus saw their faith. Because Jesus knew what was in their heart. He knew that that these true friends were going to do everything they could to get their buddy to Jesus. And they were going to not stop at a crowd. They weren't going to let the naysayers stand in their way. Now you think about this paralytic. And you think about the, the faith of these men. They're putting themselves on the line. They're going to have to repair that roof. There's going to have to be some work done afterwards. They're willing to put themselves on the line. They're willing to suffer potential embarrassment if this thing doesn't work out. I mean, we'd be the laughing stock of the village. What if Jesus isn't who He says He is? If that thought ever crossed their minds, it didn't stay there long. Because they believed Jesus to be who he said he was. And they believed if they could just get his friend to see Jesus, everything would be rectified. And so, there they were. And the paralytic, well he's got to have faith that the, that the mat won't tear. That the ropes won't give. That the men are strong enough to lower him down in front of Jesus. And then he's got to understand that he's going to be lowered down in the face of all of these people looking down at him, lying on the floor, and if it doesn't work, the humiliation is going to be great. But Jesus saw their faith. He knew that they knew from the depths of their souls, I believe in Jesus. And if I can just get my friend to Jesus... Everything will be all right. That fellowship of the mat. Well, the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. God uses people to heal people. You know? And don't think because people are friendly that they're actually friends. I have friendly people call me all the time on the phone wanting to sell me things. They're very friendly, but they're not friends. A true friend of yours is somebody that's going to get you to Jesus. Amen.
A true friend is somebody that's going to get you to Jesus. And so, these true friends who were willing to do all that they had for this man, that those same people that would take him to the gate every day of his life, those same people that would check in on him and care for his needs, knew that the deepest need of this man was to know Jesus. Personally, intimately, completely. Well, I want you to see the next group of men. Jesus saw their faith. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And then we have the final group of people. There were teachers of the law sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? These religious leaders. I don't fault them. They were sent by the Sanhedrin down. They had heard all these rumors and and news reports about Jesus. And Jesus was a threat. He was a threat to their religious system. He was a threat to their position as religious leaders. He was a threat to them. So let's go down, they said. They sent these men down to investigate this Jesus. So then they heard him say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Well, what is the deeper need in mankind but to have our sins forgiven? You see, God created every one of us with a hole in our hearts. And that hole can be filled only through Jesus Christ. We see ourselves and we see the generations around us trying to fill that hole, pursuing everything but Jesus. And nothing will fulfill except Jesus. And so, Jesus said, the greater healing, it's easy to heal a man physically, but the greatest healing is spiritual. The greatest healing is to have your sins forgiven and to be restored to a right relationship with God the Father through Jesus. That's the greater thing. Is it easier? Which is easier, he said to the teachers of the law. To forgive a man's sins or to heal him? No response. But, just so you'll know, he says, just so you'll know these things, your sins are forgiven. But you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Because remember, they believe that his suffering was great because his Sin was great. I tell you, arise, take up your mat, and walk. Go home. Can you imagine? Now here's the sad thing about the religious leaders. They brought no one to Jesus. None. And you think that doesn't cause me time of reflection in my own heart and life? I'm thinking, in my own heart, how many have I brought to Jesus this past week? How many people have I actually led to the Lord? Or do I, like these religious leaders, stand around and criticize those who are doing it? They were criticizing the very men who were lowering their best friend to Jesus to be healed by Him. Sometimes that's what religious leaders do. 
we criticize efforts and energies that go toward the Lord. Why do we do that? There's a lot of reasons. But the bottom line is, we need to ask ourselves, how many people have you brought to Jesus lately? And through our own skepticism or religiosity, how many people have we kept from Jesus? And I've said this before, Jesus didn't die on the cross to give us a religion. He died on the cross to give us a relationship. The only, only way we can have a relationship with God the Father is by knowing His Son, Jesus. You know the Son, you know the Father. You don't know the Son, you cannot know the Father. It's not possible. These are Jesus' words, not mine. And so, here were these religious leaders. You see, it's impossible to love the Father without sharing His heart for people. And so you ask yourself sometimes, what does God think about all day anyway? Well, my prayer is that God will break my heart for what breaks His. I see this paralytic and I think of this guy who is there willing to suffer whatever indignation he's got left, whatever sense of of pride that he has remaining, to be lowered in front of these religious leaders and the man who claims to be the Son of God and all of these skeptics and village people and people that pass him every day and wouldn't give him the the time of day, wouldn't look his way, probably didn't even recognize him, but I'm willing to be humiliated because I believe in Jesus. And there he is. Jesus says, rise, take up your mat, take up your pallet, and walk. And as he's saying this, Jesus is empowering him. These atrophied legs can now get strong, and he can stand up. And Jesus said, second time, arise, take up your mat, go home. Now, can you imagine these teachers of the law that were talking about Jesus blaspheming, and how does he talk like that? This man, paralytic, with atrophied legs, legs that wouldn't move, that had lost all their strength over the years. He gets up. His legs are strong. He picks up his mat, and he looks at Jesus and starts through the crowd. You can see the jaws dropping. You can see the crowd start parting as Jesus makes his way out the door, as as the man, the paralytic, makes his way out the door. And as he makes his way out the door, they stand and they watch him. And I think some of them on the perimeter of the crowd probably watch him as he kicks up his heels and leaps and probably jumps for joy and is probably praising God on the way back to his house. Can you imagine the reunion there? I picture this man as an 80-year-old man years later. There he sits in his office. I'm picturing him 20th, 21st century here. He's got the mat on his wall because it's a reminder of that day. His friends are aging and he's able to be one of these good friends to his friends as they have need. 
And I see this man more sensitive toward those who are lying at the city gates, those who are having difficulties, those who are temporarily or permanently disabled. I see this man above all things in his heart saying, if I can just get you to Jesus, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Now we're all here today and all of us have mats. Every one of us have something that we're carrying around with us, a past experience, something that uh, happened to us in times past that we really don't want to talk to anybody about. This is the mat that we carry all the time. True friends will help us take it to Jesus. And so, this is the fellowship of the mat. This is where real Christian community comes together. In the early church, in Acts 2, the Bible tells us that they met every day in Bible study, in prayer. They carried their mats, laid it down before each other, if you will, and the Lord took care of everything. Where are you today? Are you this paralytic? Have you been paralyzed by something in your life, by some experience, by some, uh, something deep within you? that is just welling up and just kind of prevents you from taking that giant step forward in your relationship to the Lord. Maybe you don't feel like you're adequately uh, prepared to come to the Lord. That's when He wants you the most. Maybe you're a member, maybe you're one of these friends that have somebody that you're praying for and you know that if I can just get them to Jesus, they would be healed intimately, ultimately, completely inside out. Maybe you're one of these religious leaders. You don't like the way people dress. You don't like the way they look. You don't like the way they talk. How could anybody like that be saved? You think. Well, Jesus came for you too. And for all of us. For every one of us. God wants us to take that mat Don't leave it there. Pick it up. Carry it on out. Because this is His story through us. This is our salvation experience. This is what Jesus did for me. Do you know Jesus? Have you trusted Him as your personal Lord and Savior? He's here. The Bible says He... Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, then I'll come into him and I will abide with him. It doesn't matter whether you come through the roof or through the door. He's ready for you. He's ready for you. Don't ever let an obstacle, don't ever let anybody stand between you and Jesus Christ. That crowd was preventing him from gaining entry to Jesus. I have heard so many people tell me over the years, I don't go to church because of all the hypocrites. And my response to them is, you let a hypocrite stand between you and Jesus. The hypocrite's closer to the Lord than you are. So deal with that. If you don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you've been a part of the crowd. Maybe you've been one of these religious leaders that has prevented somebody from coming to Jesus. Jesus stands here for all, for every one of us. Maybe you're looking for a church home. This is a great place to come serve. I don't know of any better place to serve than right here. 
But if the Lord tells you this is where you need to serve, this is where you need to be. Maybe you just never followed him in public profession of faith or baptism by immersion. Maybe, maybe that's hanging out there. Pick up your mat and come to Jesus. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just thank you for this day that you've given us. For the blessings that we have in Jesus, Lord God, thank you. Thank you for this story, Lord God. Thank you for allowing us to pick up our mats and come to you. Lord, thank you. Because you're here and you see our faith. And not letting anything stand between us and you. Lord, that's faith. So be with us now, Lord, and thank you. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.